Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of 219 Green Connect, where we explore topics about the environment and green living in Northwest Indiana. For past show archives, news, and upcoming events, you can check out our website at 219 Green Connect or join us on Facebook or Twitter. You can find us there. Our ID is 219 Green Connect. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. I'm your host, Kathy Sipple, and today with me is my guest. I have BJ Smith, and she is the founder of an organization called Shorecombers that is located down in Alabama, and we're, you know, we're pretty much at the opposite end of uh, that shoreline. If you follow 65 straight up through America, and I've done that road before, all the way from Indiana down to Alabama, we've got uh, Lake Michigan here at this end. So she's going to tell us a little bit about how she decided to start Shorecombers, what they do, and how it's relevant for people that, that don't live anywhere near the Gulf of Mexico, how we can keep our trash out of our waterways. So welcome, BJ. We really appreciate having you here today. Wow, thank you, Kathy. What a great introduction. I look forward to also exploring our, our connections along the I-65 and uh, along the waterways. Yeah, I, I kind of forgot to tell you that. We had just a moment or two to connect before starting the podcast, and I, I did actually, I've only been to Alabama once, but I did that entire drive, you know, down 65, so <laughs> I felt that connection as I was it. So, yeah, I I love Lake Michigan. It's just such a, a treasure that we have here, and it, it just breaks my heart when I hear, you know, that it's being threatened by pollutants getting in there, We've had some really tragic things happening lately in the news, and you know whether it's chemical spills, oil pipelines breaking, or trash, you know any of it is bad. But you really deal mostly with the the trash component. Is that correct? Yes, that is. Uh, I find that that it's a real layperson topic, and I was looking for a way to get more people involved in clean water initiatives and it's it's kind of hard to teach i i don't have a scientific background my background's in the arts uh, and languages and business management so i found that it was a that a good way to get those of us involved who don't know a lot about endangered species or um invasive species or uh silting up rivers that um stormwater runoff, that uh, it was trash, because we can all see trash. We might not know what an invasive species looks like, but we sure know what a Dunkin' Donut cup looks like. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, and they, yeah, the same, the same methods um, apply to all of these uh, different areas as far as uh, – tracking endangered species, and tracking um, uh, a Dunkin' Donuts cup. Um, they, uh, if you learn one skill, you can easily transfer it to the other. Yeah, well, that's great. One of the things I told you is that I always like to kind of provide some context for you know local listeners, and hopefully we can provide resources from outside the area and find out, you know, and people listening from outside of Northwest Indiana also certainly want to be a resource for them. 
but I'm always striving to kind of connect the green dots. Who are the players that are already in place? And in speaking to you, it sounds like that's actually a key strategy of how you help people is, is kind of by mapping those stakeholders. Is that right? Can you, can you say a little bit more about the importance of getting a coalition of stakeholders and in, in the planning for ultimate, ultimate success? Absolutely. The first thing when, uh, if you're taking a class of mine or if we're developing a, um, a program together, then the first thing to do is to, to find out what stakeholders you already have, which ones you're already working with. And through that map, and it can be an actual uh, GIS map or, uh, or you can download a Google map or find one from your local tourist uh, agency, you can actually you can plot a number of these stakeholders physically, and then other stakeholders are more um, a little more amorphous. Um, so they'll just go into a big list. So the first thing we do is we find out who's already on board, who you're working with, what your team looks like, and from there we can we can figure out which sorts of stakeholders you might be missing. But absolutely, planning rarely starts uh, from uh, step one. You're usually well into a project, and so we try to honor all of the work that's gone on before within your community, within your organization. And, uh, and that includes, first of all, starting with, with who's, who, who is already doing the work. Well, that, that's great, and I'll confess I probably don't know everybody that's doing the work, but what I'd like to suggest is that maybe you kind of use me as a sample case study just to kind of show how you would generally do what you do, and in so doing, anybody that's listening can hopefully plug into some new resources, or if you're a resource that's not mentioned, please email me or you know comment on the podcast uh, website and let me know that you exist so that we can include you in the show notes and some of the follow-up messaging. Does that sound like a decent idea? That sounds perfect, yes. Okay, cool. And, and just first of all, I mean, I am really interested in this, but you can be anybody, right, to be a shorecomer. Um, you have something on your website under Trash Blast Leaders asking what does a shorecomer look like? And it seems like it could be really anybody at all, anybody that can pick up a <laughs> bag, right, and is concerned about the environment. Absolutely, yes. So just so let's hear what listen, you've got. Yeah, as you listen, <laughs> just imagine you being one of these people. You know, you're an untapped resource that we haven't even mentioned yet. So we'd, we'd love it if you could come forth. Okay, so some of the things that I know about currently are the Adopt a Highway program. I think that happens you know, pretty much everywhere. I see those signs around my county and probably outside the county too. And it's kind of cool that I actually know a few of those people that are you know, listed on those, on those signs. Um, one person that I know, or one couple actually that I know that does that, Rob and Sue Klett, they actually were uh, in my master recycler class and composter class that we all took together three years ago, hosted by my county, Porter County, Indiana, and that was the first program of its kind, the first master recycling program in all of Indiana. So I was really happy to be in the first class of the first program, and since that time, I believe they've had um, a spring and a fall class each year for three years. 
So we've now got graduates of each of those courses. I think there are about 20, 30 people in each of those that all need to earn volunteer hours. So I'm thinking this would be a great way for them to earn some volunteer hours. And since Porter County started it, I believe Lake County also has a fledgling uh, master recycler program getting off the ground. And I know LaPorte County has also been fairly active. I don't know if they've got a program program or if it's in its infancy, but I know that they've got some really awesome recyclers over there. So that would be another one. And then um, I served as a board member for a coastal program grant. It's the Lake Michigan Coastal Program Grant offered through the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. And I'm thinking that a lot of the environmental people on that board would probably be both interested maybe in um, co-writing you know, a grant or a proposal or something like that. It would definitely fall under you know, their objectives for that, you know, those funds that come up each year. So they're always looking for ways to um, you know, keep Lake Michigan more pristine. Uh, there's approximately $600,000 of funding available every year and so they've got information right now on their website, which is in.gov forward slash DNR forward slash Lake Mich, M-I-C-H. And that's got all kinds of information about the, the funding cycle. They're both large grants and also some small grants. So those are just some things off the top of my head. Um, I also mentioned to you that I started a, a time bank last year. So there are all kinds of really great people in the time bank who are interested in a, a number of things. But because I started the time bank and I'm interested in environmental topics, uh, typically a lot of the people attracted to it have also been environmental types. Uh, we also have a really active green drinks network here in Northwest Indiana. We're lucky enough to have two, two groups that meet every single month in Gary, Indiana, and in Michigan City, Indiana. And here in Valparaiso, where I live, there's a group called the, uh, oh boy, Valparaiso, uh, I'm going to get their name wrong, Lakes Group, that's all concerned about water quality. And they host an environmental program every other month. So I'm just thinking, like, among all of those, we've got to have some pretty good bones to put something like this together. How does that sound? Oh, absolutely. That sounds fantastic, yeah. Um, that's an incredible group of stakeholders that you have. Yeah. So from, from I forgot about is we actually have a really strong uh, regional planning commission. It's called the Northwest Indiana Regional Planning Commission, and they've got an environmental management group that meets monthly as well. So they're, they would be an important one. Yeah, that's really an awesome one too, because they they um, they have access to things like uh, to mapping software and to different layers of of mapping software. You can certainly start a program just with uh, with a Google terrain map and a Google, and a and a highway map. Um, but it's awesome to have a a planning commission involved as well. Um, so from the point of your, once you've got your stakeholders organized, then you kind of um, decide what your territory is going to be. And your your territory, um, as 
your territory will always have these flow dynamics. It will always have water dynamics. Um, I believe when we talked earlier, you mentioned uh, the, the name of the watershed that, uh, that you're in. So that's yeah. usually a really cool place to start. Cool. Yeah. Good. So Can I you tell me a little more about, about it? Yeah. About our watershed? Um, yeah. Well, I've been through a class, and this is terrible. It's probably been six years or so now since I did this. Uh, it was actually a green drinks presentation. But a woman from Save the Dunes, which is a, a local nonprofit very involved in water quality, hosted this segment, and it was called um, something like Everybody Lives in a Watershed. And so she actually had a great map and showed us uh, exactly where the, the lines were. And oh my goodness, I should have had this pulled up and ready to go. You, so nope, you, I don't, you don't, I don't, you don't need to. Okay. You don't need to know exactly where the lines are, and okay. I have a, a ton of resources also to help you you find information like that. Um, but uh, but that that's just to give you an idea as to how your territory already exists, and um, and how you link people to Water's Edge, and uh, and as this woman uh, did to uh, to your dune area. So because people. Um, can't always, unless you live in a real mountainous area, you might not even be aware that there's a water body nearby. Mobile is a very flat area, and uh, we have uh, a huge river in our community. Um, a lot of it, as you drive over it, might look like a concrete um, drainage ditch. Uh, other areas you, you just can't see because unless you're on the edge of the water, you, you wouldn't know that there's this this incredible um, wetland uh, right on the other side of someone's house. Um, so it, it helps when you're when you're defining your territory to just do some uh, some searches on some aerial maps. You become almost like a bird flying over your territory, and then you can begin to see how perhaps the mall parking lot is <laughs> is a pretty big offender at. Um, at uh, uh, generating trash and plastics and styrofoams and all manner of uh, toxins that are going into your local water body, um, which you might not have thought of before. Yeah, um, I probably have thought of it, but maybe some people listening to you have not. <laughs> but yeah. I am really happy that the Valparaiso, where I live, has secured some uh, grants in the past, possibly from that same coastal grant program that I mentioned, it has a lot of, you know, biosoils and um, rain gardens that, that kind of helps not only with the trash but the water runoff, you know, from these parking lot areas and a lot of people putting in the porous pavement so that they can do more of the cleaning of the water, you know, with, with the natural plants. So there's been a lot of good effort there. But if you can see trash, you know that there's still a gap. You know, we've gone to those efforts, but you're right. I do see the Dunkin' Donuts, you know, cups. I do see the plastic bags are, a, you know, a terrible offender. We are yeah. not a state that has a ban on plastic bags by any means, and those are just really, really tough. So anyway, I think you're giving me a really good idea of the start, and obviously it's fairly complex, and I'm not asking you to jam your whole <laughs> course into one yeah. half-hour podcast. But let's talk a little bit about 
how you teach people to do this in the extended way. First, I want to just give a shout out for your website. If this is something that you're interested in finding out more about, you can go to www.shorecomers.org. That's shore, just like Lake Shore, and then C-O-M-B like boy, E-R-S dot org. And you've got a trash blasting virtual campus and some workshops offered. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, I find that when I go to a, um, I say, a week-long or, or a multi-day-long workshop, that I am so excited and I, I am so enjoying how, all the new skills that I'm learning and uh, working with all the other students in the workshop and, and on the usually on the just little sample projects. And then when I get home, I all of that falls apart. And I can't find out, I can't remember how to relate it to what it is that I do to my projects. So, um, so that's why we work for seven weeks. And, um, and on your project, because we <laughs> want to make sure that uh, we might not finish your entire plan in seven weeks, but I want to make sure that you know how all of the different skill sets are, can be used on your project, and you can uh, come in with your whole team. Um, it's not uh, it's not just an individual participating um, in the workshop, um, but usually there is one person on the team who will do the workshop and take the information back to the rest of the organization. Um, for example, one uh, really uh, cool part is in developing your trash survey. Because, as you say, working on grants um, and and enticing sponsors and volunteers, you really need to know what your metrics are. And so uh, we spend a, um, almost two weeks on just developing trash surveys and and developing your team who will go out and, and do the early um estimates on how much trash there is and where the trash is. It seems like trash is everywhere, but really you're going to find you got some hot spots. And then um, um, as people become, as people really get their survey skills down pat, they and you, you find out which areas you're going to concentrate on, then those, those skills turn into monitoring skills so that you can, um, you, you develop your program on the initial trash estimates, and all of the um, the inventory of, of information that, that you've collected before you started the program, and then um, you you so you develop your program, you develop your budgeting, you know about how many volunteers you're going to need, you know which areas you're going to concentrate on, you you can uh, begin to develop your budget numbers, and uh, and grants those are. Um, Grants will just suck all of that information up <laughs> when, when you're when you're developing a, a grant proposal. And what uh, funders really want to know also is how you're going to know if you've succeeded. And your volunteers want to know this too because um, the trash isn't going to stop tomorrow. So um, so volunteers want to know even though they're going out week after week and um, cleaning up the same areas, they want to know that they're making a difference. And so these, these metrics that you develop in your surveying skills, that's what helps them understand uh, that, um, 
Yeah, that even though they keep finding trash, that they may, may be finding less trash and that they may be finding ways to go into other areas upstream um, to tackle this, this trash. That, uh, so, so, yeah, your surveying skills are just um, are, are really um, incredibly important. And that's one of the things that we concentrate on um, in the uh, short comers class. And that's why it's important for it to last more than just a weekend is uh, for you to be able to get a chance to go out and and make some estimates and then come back and um, and test them out within the group and uh, or find out um, or just uh, to kind of tweak your your surveying skills. Okay. Okay. Great. And I, I know this is I, I I understand that about learning something over a long time. I think that's a really good strategy because. Then you can take time to answer some questions, develop questions, you know, do a little homework in between the modules, and I, I think that's really great. So I know that all of your, your courses are offered through Udemy as well, and people can find out about that on your website. And you also have a place on your website where people can apply for a scholarship, which I think is, is very generous of you. I know you do this kind of as a, a labor of love. You're technically retired, but this is a, a project that you have embraced in your retirement. So typically you said you offer those workshops twice a year, and the next one will be held when? The next one will be held in um, most likely the end of September so that it, um, it kind of bookends around the end of our cleanup season, like the the coastal cleanup um, Ocean Conservancy's International Coastal Cleanup, and I, I'd like to have it end before we get into um, the uh, holidays, so before Thanksgiving starts, the, the U.S. Thanksgiving starts. Um, but we can also work together um, when you, uh, if you're developing a program, there are other ways we can work together. Um, for one, I have uh, a program. I call it uh, the "It's in the Bag" program, um, because the uh, the icon of all cleanups is the bag, and I just really like that expression. Uh, a clean ocean is in the bag. Um, I use the ocean, um, realizing that every drop of rain that falls on the planet will eventually end up in the ocean kind of thing. So when I speak of the ocean, you can think of any water body that's nearby you, even if it's the little, um, as you say, the uh, the swale or the rain garden or the stormwater retention pond. All of that is is um, is part of, of us creating a, a clean enough environment so that once water eventually does make it to the ocean, that it's the best water we can possibly contribute. So um, well, I hope people will will check this out, and you know I keep thinking of more and more people that I'm hoping might want to get involved. <laughs> uh, but let's, yeah. let's hear some of your success stories. I know you've had a, a few people who have uh, been fortunate to secure grant funding to get some things done. Can you tell us about a few of those? Oh yeah, uh, two of my first students here on the Gulf Coast. They. Um, they went through the program. They uh, uh, 
uh, one of them actually went through the program twice. She sent uh, one of her assistants through the program. And as they, so as they learned how to develop their projects and how to keep their metrics and do their surveys and really how to present themselves at conferences uh, and with their stakeholders, they, um, we had a, a series of grants come up on the Gulf Coast and they were brand new. And so the organizations who were usually there ready to, to pick up the cash, they, they, they weren't prepared for these two, two grants. And uh, with, usually you only have like a month or so worth of notice to be able to even apply for a grant. Uh, so these, these two brand new programs uh, went in and scooped up $10,000 each. Oh, that's great. Um, and I, yeah, I think even going through the program assured them that they, that they were, um, that they were able, they were quality, they were able to, that they, they fit the guidelines. Because many times a, a local cleanup organization, like I say, they're not usually science-based um, or uh, even any kind of government-based. And so they don't understand that um, they may not feel secure enough in what they know to be able to apply for grant funding. But once you go through the training, uh, whether you take it as a seven weeks or whether we work in, um, individually, you'll know that, that you're doing everything that, that, that any other organization has been um, that any other organization is doing, whether they're uh, Ocean Conservancy or uh, NOAA, um, your your DMR, local DMR, you'll you'll really understand how you fit in with all of these organizations, and you'll trust your skill set, and um, and you'll you'll be well assured that that what you're doing is going to make a difference. Not only that it's going to make a difference, but you'll know exactly where your impacts are and uh, what your, how many people you're going to need to run your program and, and what the funding is going to cost. And I really think that people need to take their skill set seriously and, um, and, uh, and honor the fact that they should probably earn a little bit of money as well in running the program. Well, it's, definitely helps to make it sustainable so that it's not just a hobby. You know, it can be something that people can afford to, to make a priority and be part of their job. And quite honestly, I'd be interested in that. I think, you know, just being yeah. out in nature, getting exercise, doing this with friends, I think it would be a, a great, um, you know, fundraising opportunity for the Time Bank. Uh, we cover quite a wide area. And it's something we could do to start small and grow, you know, as, as we grow. So I'd be very, very interested in that. If anybody's hearing this and likes that idea, I would love it if you could hit me up with an email. Email me at kathy at cothrive.org. That's K-A-T-H-Y at C-O-T-H-R-I-V-E dot org. Or kathy at 219greenconnect.org. Uh, Dot com as well. Those are both me. Those will both find me. One's the Time Bank, one's this podcast. So I think BJ has shared a lot of really great ideas. And again, if you'd like to work with her directly and find out ways to do this, or if you want to contact me and figure out how we can do this as a team approach, 
I, I think I can you know, get you jump-started a little bit. So again, her website is shorecombers.org. You can find out all about the programs we've been talking about. And I just want to thank her so much. I think this is a really beautiful thing that you're doing in retirement. You've got um, you know, a lot of love <laughs> for nature in the environment just as I do, and I, I really appreciate you. Wow, thanks so much, Kathy. And obviously, I totally, I, I have such respect for you with, um, with taking your skill sets to the master level and, uh, and also for taking the time to, uh, to host this podcast. That's really a, um, a labor of love, too. So thanks so much for having me on, and, and I know we're going to work together and create some beautiful clean water together. Yeah, there are good things happening. I think if we can just, you know, highlight those, celebrate those, and get them down on recordings, it makes it a lot easier for people to discover it and find their way. Just a couple other resources that I did think. I know we've less than a minute left, but I'm just going to do a, a quick download of these ideas. Earth Charter Indiana, headquartered down in Indianapolis, might be a start. The Indiana Recycling Coalition also might want to look into this. Uh, Lisa Harris Consulting, I know she's she's done a lot of work with the Great Lakes and water quality. I'm thinking she might want to take a look at this as a project that she'd like to spearhead. And that's probably all we have time for at this point. But thank you so much. You've been listening to another episode of 219 Green Connect, and we really appreciate you for taking the time to be here with us today.